Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. If you'd open up a Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 1, 1 Timothy chapter 1, that's where we're going to begin in just a moment. We're going to going to just notice, and I'm going to kind of latch on to a little phrase, a little expression that's used there at the end of 1 Timothy chapter 1, as we begin questions and answers for the month of September. And as you're getting your Bible queued up and you're getting settled in for this part of our worship, let me just join in the welcome from earlier and say how great it is to see everybody this evening. We just have a great number in attendance, as we always do here at Lakeside on Sunday evening, and it's just a wonderful opportunity, a second opportunity to to worship together and a second opportunity for me to get to talk about some things from the Word of God. I should say, because I had some folks that were kind of asking and were kind of curious, Josh, what were you doing in the Bible drill this evening? Instead of having the kids up front, you had them downstairs. What did you have them downstairs doing? Well, you should know, I actually had all the kids downstairs and I put them to work. We've got a gospel meeting coming up in just four weeks and I had a whole bunch of flyers that needed to be mailed and I'll tell you, it's a painstaking process to get them folded up, stuffed in the envelope, put a return label, a mailing label, and a stamp, and getting all those things sealed. And we had just an assembly line of kids, like more than a dozen in there, banged it out in like 10 minutes. And so I'm proud of those kids. Appreciate them helping doing that. Uh, that's important work. It needs to be done. And so commendation to our little ones for helping with that. How about we talk now about the scriptures? In Second Timothy, or excuse me, in First Timothy chapter 1... <clears throat> You will notice my voice has not gotten any better since this morning. It's gotten worse. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, read with me. Paul tells his young brother in the Lord, beginning in verse 18. He says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, notice now, By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Two weeks ago, the McKibben family made a trip out toward western Kentucky to Cave City, where we made our first official visit to a place called Dinosaur World. Dinosaur World is a Wonderful little attraction. It was a, you know, rather inexpensive and it was a nice little outdoor exhibit. And it describes itself as a place where visitors can see up close and life-size the giant creatures of years past. And as you can see just from those few photos there, we had a really good time. Hattie's already, she's seeing the pictures and she's recalling those memories right now. She didn't want to leave. She loved the place. I should tell you though, Not all Christians are going to enjoy going to Dinosaur World. And the reason is not for the reason that you might think. The reason that some Christians aren't really interested in dinosaurs and don't want to hear about dinosaurs, don't want to talk about dinosaurs, is because dinosaurs just drive them crazy. And why is that? Well, the reason for that is because dinosaurs are usually talked about in the same breath as phrases like, 65 million years ago when the dinosaurs ruled the earth. We hear that kind of stuff all the time. We hear it on television programs and documentaries and so forth. And of course that's usually accompanied by all kinds of evolutionary doctrine. Somehow dinosaurs have become exhibit A for the theory of evolution. And that means that a lot of Christians, ah, we just get really uncomfortable about dinosaurs. 
I've even known of some brethren who won't even let their kids own dinosaur toys or watch dinosaur movies. And while I can certainly appreciate parents who do their level best to shield their kids from ever hearing that song by the purple dinosaur, I can appreciate that. By that same token, I believe we don't need to get all uptight and worked up thinking that dinosaurs are somehow kryptonite for Christianity. That if we ever talk about a dinosaur, if we ever say anything about dinosaurs, that everything that we believe is just going to come crashing down around us. That we are, as 1 Timothy 1 and verse 19 says, we're going to make a shipwreck of our faith. So as a result, we better insulate our kids. Don't ever let them hear anything about dinosaurs. Don't ever let them see anything about dinosaurs. My, oh my, that would just destroy their faith in God and their faith in the Bible. Let me say this evening. That if you think that a T-Rex is going to eat your faith, then you need to know a whole lot more about dinosaurs. We certainly cannot ignore dinosaurs. They are everywhere. They are plastered all over our culture. Our culture, our world is saturated in dinosaurs. And our kids, they're going to catch wind of that one way or the other. Which means we need to know some stuff about dinosaurs. We need to know some stuff so that we can think and speak accurately and biblically about these big lizards. This evening, for Q&A, I want to compile three or four questions that I, and I know preachers regularly, just get about dinosaurs. And I'll just tell you up front, this is not going to be the most comprehensive lesson that you could ever hear on this subject. The reason for that is because I'm not the guy to do that. I can point you to some preachers that would give you like the full Monty. They'd give you the entire thing. They'd go to it in great detail. I'm not that guy. I'm a simple guy. I think simply and I need simple concepts. And that's what I'm going to try to share with you this evening. Let's just start by asking that big question that gets asked so often. And that is, did dinosaurs really exist? And I'll just say, there are brethren. I know brethren who will just flat out say, no they didn't. No, no, never were, no way, no how. If you were to probe them and to ask them about, you know, why that is, you know, hey, brother, what, what about all these dinosaur fossils that have been found through the years? These brethren will usually respond by saying something along the lines of, whenever the earth was created, that it was created to look full grown. And it was created with apparent age on it. For example, if you had seen Adam when he was one second old, did he look like he was one second old? No. He would have looked like, I don't know, what, 25, 30, whatever we imagine Adam was in the Garden of Eden. And of course, whenever you would look at the rest of the earth, the argument is, you know, well, how did it look? Well, it looked full grown already. Trees would have been full grown. Animals, they wouldn't have all just been little you know, babies or in eggs. They would have been full grown animals. It all looked like it had some age on it. And so some people have said, That when it comes to those fossils, well, God just created those fossils. God put the fossils in the earth to just kind of go along, make it harmonize with all the rest, with the with the age that was apparent on the earth. And I want to say, that's a possibility. I don't want to deny that. God's certainly capable of doing that. That may in fact be so. I I don't want to stand up here and say conclusively that that that's false. However, having said that, I've always felt like whenever people make the no dinosaur argument, 
that mostly they were saying that because they were afraid that if they acknowledged, yep, there sure seems to be an awful lot of evidence to indicate that dinosaurs were here, that if they made that acknowledgement, that somehow that that means evolution wins. And you know what? I just think that that's poor logic. I just think that's really bad argumentation. Just because we admit that there was a time that it seems like there was probably some big lizards around here, that does not automatically just do in the Genesis account of creation. We need to just frankly admit that there are lots of those. There's a whole bunch of those fossils that have been discovered throughout the years. And that some of those fossils have even been found in the same places as human fossils and human footprints. There's lots of evidence to support that dinosaurs once existed. In fact, I often wonder, what about those big woolly mammoths that they dig up? Those things are frozen intact. That one right there in particular, that was discovered in Siberia just back in 2013. You know, it's kind of hard to stand up here and to say with a straight face, I don't think those things existed. It sure looks like those things existed. I think we just make a big mistake, a big blunder. Whenever we act like we can't ever say anything about dinosaurs or we're just going to lose our faith entirely. I think that just makes us look foolish. I don't think that it is a mistake for us to just candidly say, you know what, at one time, it seems like there were some very unique animals here on this earth. And by that same token, doesn't seem like those animals are here anymore. I think that's a fair statement. I think that's a much more reasonable conclusion to come to. Well, somebody would then ask, here's the next question that always comes along with this, and that is, well, Josh, where'd the dinosaurs come from? I tell you this, that's about the easiest question I could ever be asked. Where'd the dinosaurs come from? I'll tell you where the dinosaurs came from. God made them! Because God made everything. That's just really not that complicated or difficult for me to provide an answer for. Look with me, I'll give you just a couple passages in Exodus chapter 20. In Exodus chapter 20, Moses, of course, here is being given the Ten Commandments. And the law of the Sabbath is mentioned here. And there's a little statement that is made in connection with the law of the Sabbath. Look in Exodus 20 and verse 11. In Exodus 20 and verse 11, the Lord says to Moses on these, uh, t- in these tablets of stone, the information that would be on them, He says, for in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Listen to me very clearly. If it was here, God made it. If anything was ever here on this earth, God made it. I'm really not sure what is so complicated and complex about that. Is it the fact that maybe dinosaurs were these really, really big creatures? Is that what's hanging some people up? These really, really big kinds of of creatures, almost monster-like? Well... Has anybody ever seen how big whales are? Whales are huge. Whales are really, really large creatures. God made them. And it is because of that, I don't have any qualms at all. I don't have any doubt that God would have made a T-Rex or a Stegosaurus or a Pterodactyl or any of those dinosaurs. In fact, that truth of Exodus 20 and verse 11, it is repeated to us again in the New Covenant. Look in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1... John begins his gospel, the gospel of Jesus, 
by just saying a couple of things about the power of God. In John chapter 1, John says, John 1 verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3 now. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. So if dinos were here, and the evidence sure seems to suggest that they were, then God made them. In fact, there's even a place or two in Scripture, you should know this, there's a place or two in Scripture where it seems like the Bible is talking about dinosaurs specifically. Let me just show you a couple, a couple of my favorites, and they're both in the book of Job. They're in back-to-back chapters. Look in Job chapter 40. In Job chapter 40, we haven't yet got to this point in our, our reading plan this year, but we're going to be getting there here in just a few short weeks. The Lord is rebuking Job here. Job has said some things, calling God into question and so on. And so the Lord just challenges Job to just take a look at his creation. You take a look at the things that I have made. In Job chapter 40, look beginning in verse 15. Job 40 verse 15, the Lord says, Behold, behemoth, which I made as I made you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold, his strength is in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze, his limbs like bars of iron. He is the first of the works of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword. Verse 20. For the mountains yield food for him where all the wild beasts play. Under the lotus plant he lies, and in the shelter of the reeds and in the marsh. For his shade the lotus trees cover him, the willows of the brook surround him. And behold, if the river is turbulent, he is not frightened. He is confident, though Jordan rushes against his mouth. Can one take him? Can one take behemoth by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? The Lord says there, Behold behemoth. Now, we don't know exactly what behemoth is. In fact, your Bible may be like mine, has a footnote at the bottom of the page to remind me of the fact that we don't know specifically the identity of this creature being described here. However, there are a lot of experts and scientists who will look at this description. They've looked at these verses. And they've said, well, I see all of that stuff. And what that is, is, well, that's just a description of a hippopotamus. It's just a big old hippo being described there. Well, I will certainly grant you that many of the things that are said there certainly would fit a hippo. His strength, his size, his diet that he eats of the plants and the vegetation. However, I would call your attention to verse 17 in particular, though. Did you notice what verse 17 says about the tail of this creature? It compares the tail of this creature to a tree, to a cedar tree. You know what? You can say a lot of things about hippos. that They're big, they're strong, they're kind of funny looking, especially the ones that have the really gap teeth in the front. But you know what? Nobody's ever going to look at a hippo and say, wow, he's got a tail like a cedar tree. No, you look at the tail of a hippo and it's, it's more like a twig. It's like a, you know, it's like a branch just dangling there. Now, interestingly, when you look at all of these descriptions here in Job chapter 40 about behemoth, if you kind of do the math and you start to match it up with other creatures that have existed on this earth, 
what you'll find that it actually matches up pretty well, actually almost to a T, to some of the plant-eating dinosaurs, particularly the Brachiosaurus. And the Brachiosaurus, I will note, specifically has a tail like a cedar tree. Nobody would look at that tail and mistake it in any way. Yeah, it does have a big old tail. Strong, strong and stiff like a cedar tree. Now, I want to just reiterate. We don't know for certain that that's the dinosaur or that's the creature being described in Job chapter 40. Don't even know that. Don't know anything about that. The Hebrew word that's used here for behemoth, the word just means gigantic beast. But that would certainly fit a dinosaur. And what I want us to see from all of that is that whatever that creature is, whatever this big old gigantic beast is, verse 15, look how he begins. God says, I made it. It was made by the Lord. Just like the creature in the very next chapter. God asked Job secondly about the giant sea creature known as Leviathan. Look in Job 41, beginning verse 1. We're not going to read all of these verses, but let's read a few of them. 41 verse 1, the Lord says, Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook? Or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you to take him for your servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you put him on a leash for your girls? I kind of get tickled at some of these questions the Lord asks. Will traders bargain over him? Will they divide him up among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hands on him. Remember the battle. You won't do it again. Behold, the hope of a man is false. He is laid low even at the sight of him. Verse 10. No one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up. That is a daunting description of this creature known as Leviathan. You continue reading on, the whole rest of the chapter describes some of the qualities and characteristics of this creature. Lots of evolutionists, lots of scientists, they'll look at that particular passage and they'll say, well, that's just a description of a crocodile. In fact, there's even some Bible commentators that will say that. That's just a description of of a crocodile. It's your average croc. And yes, once again... There's some crocodile-like features described in these verses. But you know what? Not even this precisely fits the description of a crocodile. Actually, the description, you read all of Job chapter 41, it better describes some of the large water-dwelling dinosaurs, namely, named the Elasmosaurus. Drop down to verse 25. It talks about this creature and how he raises himself up. Verse 34 talks about how he sees everything that is high. Does that sound like a crocodile to you? This is a large creature, presumably one with a large, long neck. Verse 25 talks as well about the crashing sound that he makes. That there's like just a big thud and it gets everybody's attention whenever he comes crashing down. Maybe in this case, as he comes crashing down into the waters. That's not something like your average crocodile. In fact... If you, were to just, if you were to just have sat down and just read Job chapter 41 without any knowledge of what folks say that that creature is, if you just sat down and you just read it on its face and you were building a mental image in your mind of this creature, what kind of picture would you be painting? You'd be painting a picture of some kind of big old monstrous kind of thing that we would probably describe as a dinosaur. 
And I want you to know, those are not the only references in the Bible to creatures that we would consider dinosaur-like. What about all the references in the Bible to dragons? Isaiah 27, verse 1. Or flying, fiery serpents? Isaiah 30, verse 6. Or even monsters. The word monster is used in Jeremiah 51 and verse 34. Can even go to mean sea monsters. That's, that's just a few. Lots of passages that use that kind of imagery. You know, practically every civilization that has ever been known to man has had some sort of, of art and drawings of that depict giant reptilian creatures. Whether those things have been found inside, you know, painted on rocks inside of caves. Or, or etched and sin, you know, drawn on pottery, or maybe they were drawn down on some other kind of ancient artifact, which really only just serves to reinforce the idea that dinosaurs were here, and in all likelihood that they coexisted with human beings, at least for a time. Now, if you're still having trouble with all of these different ideas, because, well, you know, despite all of those passages, Josh, those are those are fine passages, and we can kind of you know, we can kind of draw some conclusions there. But you know what? The Bible never says anything specifically about dinosaurs. You don't find the word dinosaur in the Bible. Well, you know what? You don't find lots of words in the Bible. You don't find the word kangaroo in the Bible. You don't find the word penguin in the Bible. Get this? You don't even find the word cat in the Bible. What does that prove? It doesn't prove anything. The term dinosaur wasn't even coined until 1841. The word, as many of you know, as we learned very early on in school, it just means terrible lizard. And as best we can tell, dinosaurs were just large reptiles. And just as God made the little reptiles, we don't have any difficulty with that, but just as God made the little reptiles, God made large reptiles. Is that, is that so hard for us to accept? Somebody might say, well, you know, it is hard for us to accept. And the reason it's hard for us to accept is because none of us have ever seen a dinosaur. And that is true. But consider this. If somebody brought you the fossilized remains of a passenger pigeon, or if somebody brought you the fossilized remains of a dodo bird, both of which are extinct... I would not throw my hands up in the air and say, well, Darwin's right, God is wrong, creation is wrong. No! You know what I'd say? I'd say, whatever this used to be, the good Lord made it. Because God made everything. That's what the Bible says. And that's what we just need to be ready to say as well. Now that, of course, then leads to this third question that we all want to know, and that is... Where'd all the dinosaurs go? Where did the dinosaurs go? And the answer to that is, we don't know. Nobody knows where the dinosaurs went. There's even lots of disagreement in the scientific community about that. Even amongst all the people who believe in evolution, they're the whole nine yards with all of that stuff. Even they don't know. It's all kinds of conflicting theories and ideas. People today don't know conclusively what happened to the dinosaurs. But I'll tell you what Bible believers know. Bible believers, we believe that there was this really big flood that happened. And that everything in the whole world was flooded. 
And that there was this upheaval, there was this, this, this cataclysm where the waters, they, they poured forth from the deep, Genesis chapter 7 tells us. And that that would result in animals being buried under tons and tons of sediment, silt, and mud. And further, after the flood, it seems like the world's climate was different. Can I use the term climate change or am I going to get in trouble for that? kind of seems like things were different after the flood. seems like the climate of the world was just, was just different from Genesis chapter 8 onward. And so maybe if there were dinosaurs left, or if there were dinosaurs on the ark, maybe once they then returned to the earth, maybe they ended up dying out after the flood happened. And I know that right there, as soon as I say that, something about you know dinosaurs on the ark, evolutionists love to poke fun at that and say, <laughs> What are you talking about? Dinosaurs on the earth. That's just silly. That just sounds so stupid. Well, you know what? When people say that, that just shows how ignorant they are of the biblical record. The ark, the ark was ginormous. Got that big exhibit up in northern Kentucky now. And I know some of us are anxious to get up there and see that. Try to see that thing as close to scale as it would have been. I just imagine, just this ginormous structure. There would have been plenty of room on that ark, even for some big dinosaurs and everything else. Let's not forget as well, God moved those animals two by two to come to Noah and to get on the ark. Which means, means God could have moved baby dinosaurs. I don't have any problem believing that. God could have moved baby dinosaurs, got them on the ark. There would have been plenty of room for the baby dinosaurs and all the other animals on the ark. That's one possible explanation for all of that. But in the end... Even with that, I'm still going to put a big question mark beside it because we don't know. Not entirely sure about that. Scientists, they don't know where the dinosaurs went. Nobody, at least on this earth, knows exactly what happened to the dinosaurs. And you know what? We need to just be frank about that. We need to be candid. We need to be honest about that. And that's okay. It's okay to just say, we don't know. We can't know. There's no way for us to conclusively know that. It's fine if we don't have a detailed record of all of that information, whether from the Bible or even from secular history, explaining every single intricacy of what happened to the dinosaurs. Just as long, just as long as we don't allow that lack of information to cause us to start buying in to ridiculous theories, ridiculous evolutionary claims, like how the dinosaurs ruled the earth for 140 million years before man evolved. That's just foolishness. Now before I close, let me just say that a lot of the work that's being done and even has been done through the years with fossils, and that certainly has provided lots of the information that we know about dinosaurs, But a lot of that information that's being done is very, very speculative. And I say that as a word of caution so that we don't just automatically swallow and believe everything that we read or everything that we hear from the scientific community. There have been many, many times where fossils were discovered and then big press conferences and announcements were made only to find out later that they were wrong, that they had made a mistake. I actually read an article the other day about a big discovery that was made of this big old black scaly shell. And what it was believed was it was believed to be a big portion of a dinosaur egg. That's what was said. That's what was reported. A dinosaur, at least a portion of a dinosaur egg has been found. Wow! Everybody was so excited. Turns out though, 
That's not a dinosaur egg. That's just the shell of an armadillo. A big armadillo, but an armadillo nonetheless. It's not a dinosaur egg. And there's been lots of instances like that. And so we want to be careful. We want to be prudent about the things that we see in the news, the things that we read on the internet, young people, the kinds of things that you hear from teachers in the school classroom. Let's be wise and let's not just digest everything that we're told. And as a result, maybe we end up doing what Paul was warned about, about making a shipwreck of our faith. Because regardless of what the growing consensus of our population says about dinosaurs, Dinosaurs do not prove evolution. In fact, I would even suggest to you in some ways, dinosaurs actually help make the case for creation. And instead of us, you know, instead of us, you know, shying away from dinosaurs, instead of us, you know, getting all embarrassed whenever people want to talk and have a dinosaur kind of conversation, what we ought to do is ought to grab those dinosaurs and use them. There is great biblical evidence. We've looked at some of it tonight for dinosaurs. And that's on top of all the other stuff historically. All kinds of historical evidence that has been given that really just gives evolutionists fits. You think about that big thing that happened several years ago. You can get on the internet and you can read about it. About those tracks, those dinosaur tracks, those fossilized tracks that were found down in Texas. And right next to them, walking side by side, there was tracks, those fossilized tracks of human footprints walking right beside. Evolutionists, they hate that. They're always looking for some way to you know, talk their way out of that. They want to believe that dinosaurs and humans, oh, they existed millions and millions of years apart. They did not coexist. I believe there's some issues there. Dinosaurs don't necessarily help the evolutionists. Dinosaurs, they can help us. We shouldn't be ducking from the dinosaur debate. Instead, we ought to jump on the back of them dinosaurs and ride them into battle and use them for the cause of the Lord. Now, in closing, I want to say again, I realize that I've not answered every question that we may have about dinosaurs. And I'm not going to say that I have completely closed the book on trying to answer dinosaur-related questions in the future, but I'll just reiterate that I'm maybe not the guy to do really extensive lessons on that subject. There's a lot about dinosaurs that even the bestest of the bestest of the experts don't even know. We're in the dark on a lot of that. Much of this, we'll just have to be content to say, you know what? When I meet the Lord in eternity, I'm going to talk to Him about dinosaurs. i got a bunch of questions about dinosaurs, and I want to ask the Lord about that when I get to heaven. But I do hope that the few things that we have talked about tonight have helped to answer maybe some questions, maybe to shore up your faith in some ways in some of those areas. Now I begin this evening with a passage that talked about shipwrecked faith. And I introduced lots of things this evening that were evidences for faith. And of course, if we're ever going to get to heaven someday to be with the Lord and ask Him questions about the dinosaurs, and more importantly, get to be with Him, get to be with His Son, to be with the Holy Spirit, to be with the saved of all time throughout all eternity, you know what that's going to take? It'll take faith. It'll take faith. In fact, that's exactly where it has to start. Without faith... It's impossible to please Him. We must come to God believing that He is and that we must also diligently seek Him. When we talk about diligently seeking God, that's saying some things about obedience. We have to render our obedience to the Lord. There is great evidence to believe in God. And I'll tell you, once you get that, then obedience ought to just 
flow from that. If there's somebody here tonight who's not living in obedience to the Lord, living in obedience to His His actual Word that He has left for us, and we're going to sing a song of invitation in just a moment to encourage you to do just that, to render your obedience to the Gospel of our Lord. If you're not a Christian, if you've never been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, you need to repent. talked about that at length this morning. And then you need to be baptized to have those sins washed away. You can become a Christian tonight. If you are a Christian, but maybe somewhere along the way, you have made shipwreck of your faith in one way or another. Brother or sister, you can get it fixed. The Lord will fix all of that if you'll come to Him in humility, with a spirit of of contriteness and a heart of repentance. Let us pray with you and encourage you in whatever way that we can so that we can all serve the Lord together. We can go be with Him in heaven for all of eternity. If there's anybody who's subject to the invitation and you're ready to take action... And let's do that. Let's do it right now while we stand and while we sing.